Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Incredible Friday Fright Show. Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, where we provide a platform to inform, inspire, and motivate our listeners. Presenting you with amazing guests from entrepreneurs, authors, music artists, poets, and more. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. want to say uh, happy Tuesday to you guys. Um, hope that uh, today treated you well. Hope that it was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a positive day uh, for you guys who are out there uh, tuned in. Um, I am your host, the Beautiful Butterfly, also known as Bianca Fly. And so, uh, for you guys who are out there, uh, if you didn't know, the Beautiful Butterfly Radio Show is brought to you by Vibration Radio. Uh, so, big shout out to Vibration Radio uh, for holding us down. That means you're listening to a show that's being broadcast globally, and as well to the shop um, that hails in Marrero, um, Louisiana, which is a great supporter of the Beautiful Butterfly Show. So, if you're ever ever uh, in Marrero, Louisiana, make sure you go and check out the shop on West Bank Highway. And uh, to our good friends out in Kansas at Ambient Records, we definitely appreciate you guys' support. And uh, speaking of Ambient Records, um, if you guys um, are a singer, 
um, what doesn't matter the genre. Um, go and check out and connect with the Ambient Records. They are an awesome group, um, CEO'd and operated by Stephen Jerome Ferguson, who is an amazing uh, producer and composer. Um, and he has a lot of great artists that are moving their projects forward. Um, and so we are excited about those who are going to be coming through the show uh, to share their music and their talents with you guys pretty soon. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And of course, uh, folks, uh, tonight we have a special guest who is more like family to us. Uh, she's definitely been rocking with us for some years now when I'm talking about Coach Michelle Jackson, and she's coming on, you guys, and she is a coach, speaker, and life transformational um, coach as well. And so tonight, we're going to be discussing life after suicide, picking up the pieces after an attempt. And I knew that this topic would definitely get a lot of interest, but I had no idea at the amount of people um, that had inboxed us and emailed us uh, to share their stories, um, you know, and talk about how they had those moments. They came to those crossroads in their life where they dealt with um, attempting uh, suicide or had loved ones um, who had attempted or some who did uh, commit suicide. And so, Tonight, uh, we hope that you guys will be informed, um, as always, and encouraged um, by the broadcast this evening. And we're not telling you um, something that uh, we know we don't really know for ourselves. Our special guest is going to tell you uh, from her own personal experience as well. So you're going to hear the real, the authentic version um, tonight as well. So for you guys out there, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139 is the number. Um, or you guys, um, as you like to do, feel free to send me your questions via inbox on Facebook. At Bianca Sly, I would definitely uh, love to ask your questions live here on the air during the broadcast this evening. And so we're not going to delay any longer. Uh, we're going to bring a special guest on here. Uh, Michelle, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me okay? I can. How are you? I am great. Hey, honey. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am doing great, doing great. Can't complain. Yeah. yeah, everything is going well. And so I know it's definitely been uh since you have been on here. And I know that you have uh, definitely uh, been doing a lot of things. You've had a lot of wor- um, some workshops. Um, over the past couple months and so forth. And so, um, but you're always uh, sharing your testimony uh, with people uh, through Facebook, through Periscope, through many outlets um, of your story. Um, And it has a way of of reaching and connecting with so many people. And so for the folks out here, this may be their first time, you know, hearing your voice and hearing your story. Uh, Tell them a little bit about who is Michelle Jackson. Well, first and foremost, I have to thank you for having me here. Um, Yes, it has been a minute. I was sitting back allowing you to, you know, give other people their chance. I don't want to bombard you with my story. You know my story. So it's like, okay, let her get a variety of folks. But I am licensed transformational healing coach and speaker, Michelle Jackson. I am a poet. That's originally how um, I met Miss beautiful butterfly, better known as right. Bianca Fly, uh, through poetry and through writing and 
um, doing the online radio shows and studying right. and um, competitions and all that stuff. Right. But, yeah, I write poetry. I'm also a published author, but um, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I am a daughter, and that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, I am a manager at, and a, I'm sorry, a graduate school for early childhood development and education. Um, I'm a public speaker. I just had a huge conference. Well, not huge, but I had a nice conference in April. And mm-hmm. this past weekend, I just had a meetup for women. Um, I've been all over the place speaking. I've spoken in uh, Canada. I've I've been kind of everywhere. I also partner with NAMI, which is, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I've spoken for several platforms for both of them, and have traveled to speak at different conferences for suicide prevention and mental wellness and illness um, awareness. So. I think that's a little bit about me. I probably left out a bunch, but, you know, <laughs> those are the most imperative, I think, components. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know for you, you've always, um, from the very beginning, ve- been very open and very transparent about um, your childhood and, um, you know, even through adulthood and, and things that you've experienced. And so for you, um, before, because I want you to uh, share with the folks a little bit so they have an inside um, perspective of, of the things that you went through. But for you, what what is that moment like to be able to get on different platforms or stand before people and actually share your story uh, over again? Does it have a way of of bringing different emotions about, or does it get better uh, to share that testimony each time? Well, first, um, I've been transparent and open about sharing, Mm -hmm. but that was a process to get to that point. I wasn't always this way. And by the time I could um, actually gain my courage and my strength and realize Mm -hmm. that my story was not to torture me, it really, you know, I overcame so that I could be the pathway to speak light and life to someone else so that they could overcome too. So once I really right. grasped an understanding of that, it gave me strength. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the first time that I shared, it was difficult. It was. Um, it has gotten easier and easier, of course. And, you know, before I go into everything I've gone through and the diagnosis and all that stuff, um, I want to really focus on the fact that it is a process. You know, so often we are our worst critics. And so that voice, that negative narrative constantly repeats. It's on replay in our minds telling us all the things that we failed at, all the things we didn't accomplish, everything that happened to us, how it made something wrong with us. You know, we're scarred, we're bruised, we're this, we're that. And so the process, you know, reformatting the thoughts. And really, really recreating your belief system, that took a while. And, you know, getting on stage now with any kind of platform, if I'm just speaking with someone in an Uber or a Lyft or at work or walking down the street or at home or the library, wherever I am at a restaurant, if I'm sharing now, it's more about purpose. It's not about Mm -hmm. pain. You know, in the beginning it was 
all laced in pain. It was rooted, grounded, and founded in pain. And as I started to share more and really, really combat, come against those thoughts, I was empowered to understand this is about purpose, girl. You are the biggest giver in this world, so why would you not give your story? Why would you not share that and share those how I got over, how I got over, you know, you got to share. People are suffering in silence, and they're generally suffering in silence because the enemy is empowered because of the silence. So there's that separation, and people think it's only me. There's something inherently so wrong with me. And they don't realize the woman that she has all together standing right beside them or sitting right beside them at work fighting the same battle of which you know not because we won't pull the covers off and shine that light in those dark places. And that's the only way that we can overcome anything. The more we hide it, I say this all the time, we can't heal from things we won't reveal. We cannot. They get bigger. They They are strengthened more. The more we hide it, the more we cover it up, the more isolated we feel, the more alone we feel. And the more, I mean, we feel like an alien, like everyone else in the world is enjoying life except us. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. We're all battling something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that oftentimes a lot of people who have been through certain tragedies uh, within their lives, because especially depending on what type of household um, that you were brought up in, and and it brings me back to watching, um, there's a a Whitney Houston documentary that's getting ready, another one that's getting ready to be released. And uh, her aunt, Pat Houston, um, talked about how oftentimes people uh, in her family, um, there were certain things that you just didn't discuss, you know, and so a lot of things weren't brought to the front table until later on in life and so forth. And so do you believe that because the way that some people's family structure is, it's hard for them to get to that point of where they can share it with other people because they've been told for however long, don't say nothing about it. Okay, so I'm about to make some enemies here. I'm going <laughs> to forewarn you. <laughs> the, the opinions of Coach Michelle Jackson are Michelle Jackson's opinions. They are not reflective in any way of the beautiful butterfly show, okay? So these are my opinions. Um, so you have to, when you think about that, we talk about the taboo topics, right? So mm-hmm. from a race perspective, I'm a black woman, right? Yeah. Listen, we came to America and we were cattle. We were chattel. We were not mm-hmm. um, human. We were three-fourths human, right? So right. according to society, we didn't have an opinion. We didn't have a platform to stand on anything and talk about how we felt and what mm-hmm. Massa did to us. We were right. in, in, it was embedded in us. It was forced in us to grin and bear it. You don't complain. You don't talk right. back. You just right. get over it. You just be happy that you woke up another day and Massa didn't hung, string you up on a tree. And, <laughs> and in contrast, white people have been encouraged since the beginning of time to share their thoughts. What are you feeling, Tommy? What's wrong, Tommy? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, um, Robert 
is told the little black boy, boy, you better be a man, and he's eight. A man? (laughs) Boys don't cry. They don't? Why not? Aren't they created with emotions and with the heart and with feelings? Aren't they created this way? But we are taught a different, there is a different narrative for black people. Now, of course, we've, we've advanced and we're getting so much smarter and so much dumber at the same time. But since the beginning, it, there has been this complete division and separation on the expectations of our race. So especially when you're talking to a black person, the blacks and browns, we're taught to just be grateful. We're taught to just be strong. We're taught to just get over it. And guess what? House business is house business. Mm -hmm, You don't take mm -hmm. it outside the house. Whatever goes on behind these four walls, they better stay here, and you just better get over it. Well, we're, we're seeing with the generations to come and in our current generations that that doesn't work. We're seeing mm-hmm. that people are strung out on drugs because they don't know how to cope. They wake right. up doing drugs. They go to bed right. doing drugs because they're trying to numb that pain of things that they haven't exposed, they haven't revealed, they haven't come to grips with. They don't even see it as their truth anymore. They're running from their experiences because they don't feel free enough They don't feel supported enough. They don't feel loved and embraced and engaged enough to have a safe space where they can share. And if they do share so often with their own peers, their own black counterparts, man, why are you talking about this? When did that happen? That happened when you were 10 and you 40 and it still hurt you. Boy, get over it. Man up. And even as black women, we carry so much of the burden on our shoulders. We have to be strong for everyone. So right. crying, you don't have time to cry. Mm-hmm, you got to mm-hmm. go out there and take care of the family. You got to go out there and make that money. You have to support the hubby if you have one. You have to support the children. Right. And somewhere along the lines, we lose ourselves. And then we're taught by our parents, you just get over it. You can't get over something you don't face. There right. is no getting over it. Right. And it will consume you if you don't expose it, if you don't face it, if you don't start to address it and deal with it. So to me, Mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. It comes from our history in this country. We were brought over here told to shut up, just grin and bear anything. You just take it. And so that's passed down from generation to generation to generation. But the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. Now that we have the knowledge, it's time to do something about it. Now it's time to stand from the rooftops and say, this happened to me, but guess what? That doesn't define me, and I've overcome this. Yeah, I may not be perfect. I may still have the residue. There may still be that residual damage. I may have some nightmares, but guess what? I'm living and I'm owning my history so that it doesn't empower or control my destiny. When you say that, because uh, and, and and that's the thing, because oftentimes people don't realize how not confronting um, those the, those those issues and those burdens that we carry head on can cause much turmoil um, and issues for us later on down the line. And so for you personally, I know that you have a, a wonderful and awesome daughter. And how did you go about making strides to where those burdens that you carry didn't spill over into the relationship that you have with her? Okay, so that brings me to um, 
part of my story and I have to mm-hmm. share it. I yeah. am an overcomer. You know this already, but for your listeners who don't know, I am an overcomer of sexual assault, of, uh, sexual assault, incest, molestation, and flat-out rape. Uh, my uncle molested me. My father raped me. And there were some other situations with uh, a, a fake uncle, you know, play uncle, and, you know, this one and that one. But those are the two that impacted me the most. Um, and so my uncle molested me from the time that I was nine to right before I was 10. My father flat out raped me from the time that I was 16 until four, three to four months shy of my 18th birthday and put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger, playing Russian roulette, would choke me until I would lose consciousness and then slap me until I would regain consciousness, throw me across the room, was physically violent, verbally abrasive and violent. Um, and, you know, that's a whole story in and of itself because he had raped when I was 12 years old. He raped, not 12, six. When I was six years old, he raped a 12-year-old girl who lived across the street from us. And so mm-hmm. he served eight years in prison from the time that I was six to 14. He'd done something in California, so he was restricted to California on probation for two years and or parole, whatever it was, whatever it's called. And he couldn't come back to Chicago. When he could come back to Chicago, hadn't seen him since I was six until I was 16. The first night that he was um, in our apartment, he crawled into the bed with me, and that was my first sexual experience. Um, So in addition to all of that, I always remember, I can pinpoint back to the time that I was six years old, I always had issues with sleeping. I always Mm -hmm. felt different. I was a nurturer by nature. I wanted to seven years old. How are you babysitting mm-hmm. anyone in your baby yourself? Um, <laughs> but I was always so different. I was always so right. different. It didn't matter where I was, family members. I always felt different. I was told, like many of us, you know, this child been here before. You know, she knows too much. But I was always around adults, too. Well, anyway, speeding ahead, um, my first suicide attempt, I was 12 years old. My second suicide attempt, I was 16 years old. My third suicide attempt, I was 17 years old. And the fourth and final leads up to your question, so how did I not allow it to affect my daughter? The truth is, it did affect her. Mm. That's the truth. I tried my very best, but I was diagnosed with severe clinical chronic um, depression. And for Mm. 18 years from the time that I was 12, and really before that, but because I, I gauged that based on my first suicide attempt, from the time that I was 12 until 30 years old, every single day of my life, despite circumstances, despite what was going on, things could be going well, I could seem happy, you know, everything could be okay, and I was battling a fight that no one knew until I was in the hospital getting my stomach pumped because I wow. tried to overdose. Well, at 30 years old, Um, This would be the pinnacle. This is when it really affected her because prior to that, she wasn't alive when I tried suicide. You know, my last time before I was um, 30, it was 17. So, you know, and even in that time, for 13 years, I still battled, but I was in the church, you know, and I'm trying to cover Mm -hmm. it with the word, and I'm trying to cover it in the church. And if I could just be busy enough, and if I could just do enough, not from 17, but 22, from 22 to 30. And... 30 years old, I lost the battle with the voices. And one morning, I took her to work, not to work, to school. I was supposed to go to work, and I called off. I had plotted and planned. I knew what I was going to do. I'd returned to Chicago because I was going through a divorce from my first husband. And 
I didn't attempt suicide because I was divorcing my first husband. You mm-hmm. know, people want to associate suicide with an event. Well, right. you were depressed because of this thing. No, I was depressed because I was depressed, and I suffered from depression for a long time, for almost two right. decades. And anything was the trigger. It just so happened this particular day, um, I was living with my mother. I'd come back to Chicago. My mother had a one-bedroom. I'm sleeping on her living room floor, and I was I plotted, okay, I'm going to take Taylor to school. I'm going to drop her off. Taylor was nine years old. In fourth grade, I'm going to drop her off. I'm going to call off work that day, and I'm going to go to a drugstore, the neighborhood drugstore, um, and I won't mention them because they're not sponsoring you, so they can't give me money. <laughs> but <laughs> I go to the neighborhood drugstore, and I buy 10 boxes of sleeping pills, 10 boxes of sleeping pills with 10 bills, 10 pills in every box. That should have been illegal. There should have been alarms ringing right. in the woman's, the, the, the check, um, the cashier's ears, but right. apparently whatever. I bought 10 boxes and drove back to my mother's apartment, um, took all 10 boxes, called one of my friends, didn't tell her what I had done, but because of spiritual discernment, she could hear it in my voice. She kept asking me what I had done, what's wrong. I'm like, nothing, nothing, nothing. She hung up on me and um, called the police. Uh, maybe about 20 to 30 minutes lapsed from the time that I digested 100 sleeping pills and police came. I didn't answer. They kicked the door in, and there's a whole other story after that, which you've heard. Um, needless to say, I died. I flatlined for a few minutes. Uh, they had to use mouth-to-mouth and the chest compressions and the defibrillator on me several times and brought me back. Well, my daughter, again, was nine years old. After I'd done this, the same friend went to her school for some reason, pulled her out of school, and told her what I'd done while I was in this hospital. And Mm -hmm. it traumatized her, and it did affect her. It did scar her. It did um, give her this this fear of people leaving her. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the furthest thing from my mind because those voices convinced me that her life would be better without me that I was yeah. toxic, that I was poisonous, that, you know, I had no purpose, I shouldn't be here. I, you know, contrary to what so many people say, many people say, you know, when someone's attempting suicide, they don't really want to die. They just want help or they just want this. No, I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. I begged God while taking these pills, please don't let me go to hell, but right. I want to die. I flat out said it to him. And... Um, you know, my daughter, I did the best I could do. I focused and I prayed and I asked God to show me how to help her heal and all these things. But, you know, yes, it did affect her. It's impossible for her not to, you know, is she still amazing? Yes, she is, but it did affect her. And that's the truth. And that's one of those things that as I speak about it at 46 years old, uh, almost 16 years later, it's, still something that I have to forgive myself for because I wasn't in my right mind. I wasn't then who I am today. Of course, today I would not do that. But then, yeah, it was, it wasn't me, you know, but I still have to tell myself, you know, Michelle, you weren't you. Um, You suffered from a mental illness. Give yourself a break and do the best with your life today. Right. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it does. And, and I want to ask you, going back, uh, do you wish that 
that friend had not told her what you have done instead of just saying, okay, well, you know, mommy's maybe mommy's sick or mommy's in the hospital. Do you wish that she hadn't told her? Oh, absolutely. That to me was something I should have been able to tell her. I should have been able to sit my nine-year-old down and explain to her as hard as it would have been. Um, But she was an astute and is an astute young lady. She, you know, understood some things, and I shared things with her. Even, you know, the sexual assault she knew because I didn't want someone to be able to do to her what they did to me with shame and, you know, ignorance and you just don't know, and no one's telling you, hey, warning, warning, Will Robinson, you know, don't go with a guy that says this, or even if it's an uncle or a cousin or what have you. So we had a really close relationship in the sense that I could share and talk with her. Um, I wish, yes, of course, there that could have been something that I, you know, sat her down and explained to her, explaining them, you know, right. and really explaining to her mental illness. Now, who knows what that would have done, and we can always, you know, in hindsight, we can always wish for what we didn't do or weren't able to do. But the reality is, as much as I wish that were the case, it turned out the way it was supposed to (laughs) because God will use everything. Nothing will be wasted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, of course, um, during the part uh, of you wanting to um, commit suicide and, and, and attempting to do so, um, and one of the things you said was that a lot of times people assume that something has to trigger, um, you know, okay, maybe I lost my job or, you know, this relationship is not working out. But the fact that you said that you were struggling with depression and you always had been, and so do you think that anybody around you saw you 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 suffering and, and dealing with this depression but just didn't know how to help you? Absolutely. You know, yeah. there are signs generally. You know, it's it's similar to almost anything else and I'm not trying trying to diminish mental illness yeah. or, you know, yeah. suicide ideation, but it's like asking a woman, you know, after the man cheats and leaves her, you know, and she's like, I didn't see anything. And then she sits and she thinks, wait a minute, I saw the sign. It was something I didn't want to face or I Mm -hmm. didn't have the tools in my toolbox to actually know how to to effectively deal with it, how to effectively address it. So that, yeah, of course, you know, the withdrawal, the fact that I did not value anything, like in terms of uh, physical possessions, I didn't value anything. I would give away everything. You know, you find people who are withdrawing or certainly uh, in this kind of grandiose way where they want to be other people's saviors and their mood swings, you know, up and down and it's almost manic or, you know, I didn't, I never did drugs. I was never engaged in alcohol and all that stuff. But, you know, some of the other signs would be a person who doesn't do drugs who now starts to do drugs and they're getting high constantly. Um, They're getting drunk constantly. There's so many signs and symptoms of a person who is contemplating suicide, in addition to which many of them talk about death. I did. And, you know, I say that I attempted suicide four times, well, three times, and, and actually executed a suicide on the fourth. But honestly, one time I was with my uh, best friends in a car, and they knew I was depressed at the time. And these same friends were in high school with me, so 
they knew, okay, this girl has a history of this thing. So they understood some of the signs and the symptoms. And we were in a car on the expressway one day going somewhere. They kind of forced me to get out the house, you know, just wouldn't leave me alone. And I hung up the phone and they came to my house anyway to get me out. And we're in the car on the expressway and I'm in the back seat and I opened the door to try to jump out of the car while the car was going 60 to 65 miles per hour on the expressway. And if it hadn't been for my friend who was sitting in the middle, who was quick, if it hadn't been for her again, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) So yeah, there are signs and symptoms. We just have to be aware and just to speak to that. So if there's anyone out there listening right now and you don't really know, you don't have the tools in your toolbox, you don't know how to speak someone down off the ledge, you don't, you, it feels uncomfortable to you, you don't want to mention it. And one of the, um, the taboo topics is asking someone, are you suicidal? Are you thinking of death? But guess what? People tend to think, I can't ask that because it's going to plant the seed in their head. No, Mm -hmm. you cannot. Listen, Bianca Fly, I could say, are you suicidal? Are you thinking about killing yourself? You're not suicidal. So I could ask you that a hundred times and it's not going to make you think of suicide. But it's one of those things that we're misinformed. Well, if I ask, that's going to make them. No, it's not. A person who is not suicidal, you cannot suggest it enough for them to do it. No, Mm -hmm. it's like a person Mm -hmm. who's heterosexual. I don't care how many suggestions you make about them sleeping with the same sex. It's falling on deaf ears because that's not who they are. So if you don't know and you don't want to ask and you feel uncomfortable, please call 800-273-TALK, 800-273-8255, I think it is, T-A-L-K, 800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can also text at 741-741. Can't be easier, 741-741. And there are professionals, 800-273-8255 or text 741-741, professional people who are there to help walk you through on what to do, what to say, how to handle it. And, of course, if you yourself are suffering or contemplating it or thinking it or feel hopeless, call that number. There are people out here who care about you. And that's another one of those um That's another one of the lies from the pit of hell, that you can die and no one will miss you. Of course Mm -hmm. they will. God created you. So he gave you a purpose. And you have a purpose. There is something that only you can do the way that you do it. So, yeah, I'm sorry I had to deviate. Just in case there are people out there who know someone and they're just on the fence, I don't know what to do. Well, the least you can do is call this number. That's the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what I want to do is I want to take a little break, you guys, and then we're going to come back and we're going to discuss, you know, what that moment was like uh, for Michelle once she, you know, came out of, you know, that last attempt and, and what life was for and how she uh, made the steps uh, to get back on the right track. And so um, I see you guys have some questions that I'm going to ask as well uh, via Facebook. And so if you're on the line, you have a question or a comment, uh, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139 is the number, you guys. So we're going to take a little break, uh, but we're going to come back with more right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show.
like Moses, Father, you speak through me and set your people soul. Thank you, Lord. And welcome back, everyone, to the beautiful Butterfly Show. Um, that piece was entitled Transform Me um, by the lovely Deborah Price. And you guys can go and follow her on Twitter um, at Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, Price, 2014. And you guys can download her um, single, Transform Me, available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, uh, you name it. So go and check out Deborah Price, you guys. And so this evening, uh, we have been joined by Coach Michelle Jackson. Um, as she share, shares her personal um, journey with dealing with uh, suicide and um, with suicide attempts and, and how she came out of that. And so we've um, covered um, a lot this evening. And so um, we do have some questions from our people from Facebook that we do want to get um, answered tonight. And so, um, Michelle, our first question comes from Jessica from Sacramento. Uh, She says, I have a good friend who suffers from depression. Uh, She says, I am always worried about her, but don't know if asking her too often can be too much. Is there a such thing as checking on our friends that deal with depression too often? Okay, that's a wonderful question, Jessica. Um, I would say that of course, if it's depression and you're afraid of what could happen, right. you're always on edge. And that was one of mm-hmm. my concerns, especially after my daughter found out. It put her on a alarm and alert at nine years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, she was afraid. And, you yeah. know, there were people around me who were afraid. The thing that I would suggest the most, just be there. Because one of the things with depression you feel isolated and like nobody understands. Sometimes you don't need to talk. Sometimes you don't need to do anything extravagant or supernatural. It's just being there. It's just allowing that person to exist with that illness. Of course, if you believe in prayer, praying for them. And the key component, the largest thing, the best thing you can do for that person is to listen. Be there, listen without judgment and without trying to fix it, other than if you're afraid for her life, then call the number. And they can give you more tools and resources on, you know, more detailed information once you can speak with them and tell them some of her signs and symptoms and some things she's saying and displaying. They can give you keywords, but more than anything, it's being present with no judgment and listening. Right. You don't have to call, hey, I'm just calling to see if you're depressed today. You didn't die today, <laughs> did you? And I'm not trying to make light of it. But, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be yeah. that deep. 
just call and, hey, girl, what's going on? How was your day? Not even mm-hmm. necessarily how are you. And, yes, you can ask how are you too, but not every day or every three yeah. hours. Hey, how are you? I'm doing the same as I was doing three hours ago. What do you mean? What what is that? What is wrong with you now? But, you know, just being there and being a friend. You know, friends Mm -hmm. don't have to fill the room with words. Absolutely. They don't. They can just be in a room together. Absolutely. Definitely in agreement with that. Uh, I I remember having a friend, uh, well, she still is a great friend of mine, that I had in, um, I believe, my 11th year in high school. And she, we connected, even though she was a freshman, uh, we were at, uh, we stayed in the same neighborhood, rode the same school bus. Um, But I remember in my senior year is when she attempted uh, suicide. And Mm -hmm. I I was just, you know, just a ball of emotions because I saw Mm -hmm. this girl who, for me, seemed full of life. Seemed full yeah, of joy, so did but I. <laughs> on the inside, yeah, but on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, was was a whole different, you know, thing going on. And so I remember, um, you know, going to her grandmother's house because at this time she was still in the hospital, and um, you know, talking to her grandmother and basically just bawling because even at a young age, I didn't understand then. You know, why? Why would she want mm-hmm. to take her life away? And it wasn't until mm-hmm. um, after she got out of the hospital and she talked about, you know, she had um, pretty much similar experience. She had been molested um, and she mm-hmm. came up with a mother who uh, was a drug abuser and an alcoholic, yeah. which is the reason why she was yeah. living with her grandmother. Um, and she saw a lot things that she shouldn't have seen, mm-hmm. you know, at the time that she was living with her mom and it affected her, affected her dearly. And she talked about how even consistently she tried to repair her relationship with her mom. Um, but because mm. her mom's abuse with drugs, she could never, you know, never do that because the mom was always, yeah. you know, even strung out. She would go into rehab for a little while and then get back out and do the same thing. And so, Years ago, before I, uh, I remember before getting married, and she was supposed to be a bridesmaid in my wedding, and uh, you know the the bridesmaids are get you know tried on dresses and mm-hmm. throwing up for fitness, and I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? So mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. getting a call from her uh, where she just simply said, you know, I'm just going through right now. You know, I'm going mm-hmm. through, and she's talked about how she even at that moment in time started abusing drugs and, and dealing yeah. with depression. Yeah. Um, she yeah. um, was a, a addicted to opiates um, mm. at the time. And so um, she, you know, didn't show up, and she didn't show up for my wedding, and I was, you know, hurt. And I remember receiving yeah. a letter from her maybe – two, three years after I got married of her apologizing and saying I was messed up at that time. I couldn't function. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, 
day, the hour, the time, because I was dealing with so much, and she just apologized and um, talked about, you know, things that she dealt with. And later on, she was diagnosed uh, with depression as well as as being um, bipolar. And so that's something that, you know, me and her have dealt with together for years. And so I'm one of those friends. Yes, I worry about her often, but when mm-hmm. we talk on the phone, I just allow her to talk. I just allow because yes. that's what yes. means most to yes. her. You know, just to have yes. that moment where she can be free, talk about because the the thing about it, I think we oftentimes we are we're giving people advice and we're telling them, Well, you should do this and you should do that, but nobody's listening. Nobody's listening At to all. What, this, <laughs> what this person is telling you, you know, nobody's listening. So I think that oftentimes we just have to sit and, and be quiet and, and allow people uh, to share with us, and we will gain a greater understanding of really what people are going through. And the the most important part of communication, the most effective communication, is listening. Yeah. Do you know why? Because if you listen, you'll have the answers. Yeah. You'll know, okay, this person merely wants to vent. Or they really do need help. I do need to call that number. Or I should just get in my car and go to their house. You will be able Mm -hmm. to discern what is needed in that moment. But everybody's trying to be a a fixer. Everyone wants to be someone else's God. So I have the answers. One of the things that, and and this is not to blame anyone because you can't blame someone who doesn't have the tools, you know, and doesn't know how to deal with depression. And one of my closest friends when I was in high school, you know, she was a believer. I wasn't in church at the time. I knew God existed, but I wasn't doing all of that. I wasn't raised in the church, but she was. And, you know, anytime I try to share anything with her, it was, you got to believe God. You have to have faith. You got to, so guess what that Mm -hmm. does? That creates walls. Now I know I can't talk to you. So everything is substance. And I put on the fake smile and my mask, and I hide everything. And then I was at home with a mother who was more interested in men than she was with what was going on with me. So Mm -hmm. to this day, and, you know, she died two years ago, she never asked me why. Like, what's wrong? Never. Mm -hmm. Not one time. So there were so many components, and Um, one of the things that I want to make sure that we talk about, and I want all of the listeners, because some of you may have heard of this, but I am a believer. I believe in God. I'm a Christian and all that. But God didn't fix me. He didn't Mm. just wave his magic wand and just I was healed and perfect and delivered and set free. I had to do some work. I had to learn his word. I had to learn exactly who he called me to be and what he says about me, what he's about me, because I was raised in an environment where I was not loved. And that's not me, you know, woe is me, here's a pity party, and, oh, Michelle, yes, you were. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't, (laughs) okay? And that's the reality. I wasn't nurtured. I wasn't supported. I wasn't told, oh, you can do anything, or you're so smart, or you're so this. You know, I would have assemblies and things at school. No one would be there. I was constantly doing something in a spelling bee, an oratory contest, um, anything, a play, singing, No one was ever in the audience to support me. So it wasn't like I came from this home where there were people who were fully invested in me. And I needed to feel love. But that, I'm jumping ahead a little, but the part, the thing that I want people to know, and really when this is over, you can help. 
number one. Number two, there are resources out there if you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, and if you are a person who suffers. There are resources out there made readily available to you. And number three, I brought up God because, you know, when I was in the church, because I, you know, gave my life to Christ at 22, almost 23, and for those seven years, I still battled. I still bound the devil. I bound the enemy, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I did all this stuff, and I was still bound. And I still had these voices in my head telling me to give up, and I was still suffering wholeheartedly, suffering from depression. Well, the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. I had no clue about what I I know now. It's called ACE, and it's an acronym for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So when you mention your friend and you talked about the things that happened to her as a child, and most people can trace something traumatic happening to them when they were a child, and it goes unrecognized, it goes unaddressed, and it only grows as you physically grow. It gets bigger and larger, and it comes out in alcoholism or substance abuse or sexual promiscuity or depression and anxiety and um, suicide, suicide ideation and attempted suicide, adverse childhood experiences. Adverse childhood experiences affects you mentally, physically, and emotionally. They don't just go away. If no one is treating you, if no one is really engaging you and walking you through it and helping you heal and giving you resources, it will affect your body. It, adverse, childhood, adverse childhood experiences can cause heart disease and diabetes. I really want you all to type it in, adverse childhood experiences. And there is... Um, a test that you take that determines how many adverse childhood experiences you had. It's a questionnaire, and based on that questionnaire, you can basically scroll across to see the things that you're susceptible to, whether it's suicide, depression, uh, teenage pregnancy, dropping out of school, um, divorce. And literally when I went down the list after I counted up all the things that I'd experienced and witnessed and this, that, and the other, all of my childhood adverse childhood experiences, my ACE scores, when I tell you it was so accurate, it was completely everything that I've gone through as a result of ACE, my ACE score. Now, that sounds too easy. Why don't we know this? Why? Because, you know, when you think about um, therapy and psychotherapy and psychiatrists and social workers and psychologists and all that, and the first thing they ask you, and they do this even with your medical doctor, But the first thing they ask you, does anyone in your family suffer from mental illness, you know, or whatever you're talking about? Has this happened in the family? They want to know if it's genetic. They want to know if it's hereditary. They want to know what happened to you as a child. Well, there's something to that. That's not them just trying to make a buck. They've studied because they know there is a complete who you are today from what happened to you when you were a child if it went unaddressed? Now, if you got healing uh-huh. and treatment and all that stuff, then you'll be fine. But if you didn't, as so many of us, especially as many of us blacks and browns, um, because, you know, our family's psychiatrist, what, you crazy? We'll believe in that. You know, you just throw it at church. You, you, you throw a Bible scripture at it. And it's still there. 
and it laughs at you and it grows and it brings its friends. So you started out with depression and now you have depression and alcoholism, you know? So no, we need to educate ourselves. Adverse childhood experiences. See what your A score is and then see how accurate it is. I'm willing to bet you it is absolutely accurate for where you are today. Wow. Awesome, awesome, Mm -hmm. awesome. And and one Um, more thing I want to say before we go on. Suicide does not, you know, I speak out about this, and most people are like, why do you talk so openly about suicide and rape and Mm -hmm. incest? Your father raped you? Who wants to say that? And you attempted suicide? You know, you gave up. You were weak. You were this. Why are you so open with it? I am naked and not ashamed because I know it's going to help others because it is an epidemic. Listen, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, 10th leading cause of death. That's against cancer and AIDS and all these other things and gun violence, the 10th leading cause. Every year, and these numbers aren't even accurate because you know there are people who die by suicide, people cover it up, right? So you don't get the accurate numbers. But every year, as recent as 2016, 1,965 Americans, not worldwide, just in America, 44,965 Americans died by suicide. And for every single one suicide, for every one of those 44,965, at least 25 additional people attempt. So take that 44,965 and multiply that by 25. And you'll get somewhere close to, not even completely accurate, but close to the number of individuals who attempt suicide every single year. Right. Listen, 123 suicides approximately every day. Today, approximately 123 people died by suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I live in a suburb of Chicago. There has been, and suicide rates have increased by almost two, I think it's 1.2 or 2% since last year. They've increased. Wow. Since in the last few months, I've heard just in one, um, in the train station, one of the train stations, we have several. But in the last few months, I've heard of at least eight people to die by jumping on the train track in Chicago. Yep. Yep. That's just what I've heard of. That's not all who have done it. So it is an epidemic, and we need to remove the stigma by speaking. Talking will save lives. And we have a a large amount, and we're seeing even more now, um, a lot of our youth taking their lives. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, committing suicide uh, left and right. We've seen young kids as as early as I think I've seen stories of eight, nine-year-olds committing suicide. Um, And people often are wondering, well, how did they go about learning to do this and and what could have been going on, you know, in their lives for them to, you know, do these type of things. But it's so much, you know, that can go on from things in their family to bullying at school and and, and all kind of aspects that, that can join and into social that, media. You know? yes. Social media. Social yes. media. These children are seeing, children are getting cell phones at like six and seven years old. Right. And right. they're being unsupervised. So how could they find out about it? These cell phones, these iPads, these laptops, all these, they have so many resources. We have more resources to truth and more right. resources to facts, but we're, the dumbest generation ever because we're allowing social media and gadgets 
and gadgets to raise our children. And, you know, even with the bullying, I was bullied. Everybody was bullied at some point in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have this concept of, you know, where bullying means that the person might kill you or you die by suicide. But the reality is now it's so prominent. And and then we have generations of individuals who don't care about other people. Everything is about a mask. Everything is about what you can pretend to be, not who you really are. So the children are being raised with parents who are desensitized because these are parents who have large and high A scores themselves, and they haven't Mm -hmm. dealt with their issues. So they're disconnected. And now here comes the child that's being raised by social media, and the only solace they found was at school until they became a victim of bullying. And there's no one to talk to except through social media. And if you don't look exactly like everyone else, then you're not accepted, especially in 2018. You know what I mean? If you're not speaking the same language, then you're ostracized. So we have to reconnect. You know, we have social media supposedly to be more social, yet we've become so much more – separated and divided yeah. through social media. Very disengaged. Now it's just about putting on that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Disengaged yeah. and desensitized to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. someone could be raped right in front of you. You walk over them and pull out your phone. What? What? Like, but <laughs> And it, yeah. and it it is because even nowadays, you know, we see um because I often talk about the 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 strange the strangeness of how people in public just generally no longer communicate anymore. If you look around yes. in your restaurants, everybody's on their phone. Uh, if you if yes. you go to certain places, everybody, you know, we're taking pictures, uh, we're recording. Uh, you know, all these mm-hmm. things are happening to the point where everybody has just become desensitized from people because mm-hmm. and a lot of people get a, in an uproar, when, especially when we um, on social media, you know, people post these fights. And, and different things that are happening yeah. in our community, that's because we have become desensitized mm-hmm. versus us trying right. to say, hey, let, let's stop this fight. Let's try to break this up. Like back in the day, now it's let's film. I mm-hmm. want to see how many views I can get, how far or, or if this is going to go viral today. or you know. So we, we, we've gotten to the point we have distanced ourselves more and more from just being able to talk. And it, it amazes me at how many people lack just basic social and communication skills nowadays because of technology. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some people I don't agree. even know how to hold a conversation <laughs> in person, you know, because they're used to, you know, well, LOL and, <laughs> you know, all these different little acronyms and all these, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, so it, it's very and interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, emoji. Happy emoji day. Things. Like, what? Yeah. I know. <laughs> yes. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. But one of the uh, things that you oh, said, you you said about, I think you mentioned purpose. That was one yeah. of the things because I don't want anyone to, you know, we end this call and then people are like, okay, but is she better now? Yes, I'm better now. No, I don't suffer from anything. I don't suffer from depression or anything else. I don't see a psychiatrist. I don't see a, any kind of therapist. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not on medication. Nothing wrong with medication if you need it. But the problem with medication is medication doesn't cure anything. It only treats it. So what I suggest to people, seek the help you need. 
if you need medication, to clear your mind so that you can be empowered to really work on the root causes of what is the problem in the first place. If you need that, just as that, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say a Band-Aid, but just that thing that you need to kind of level you out until you are able to really deal with head on the root cause. Listen, everything starts with a root. Any fruit that you have, if it is positive, shiny, beautiful, juicy fruit, there was a root to that. There was hard work. There was dedication. There was determination. There was sacrifice, right? If you have this beautiful home, you had to sacrifice for that unless you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. But if you have a, a successful business, you sacrifice, you dedicate, you, met, you were intentional about that. You were deliberate about your decision-making. You had a plan, and you didn't deviate from that plan. So there was the root to that, hard work, hard and smart work on top of that. However, yeah. to the contrary, the same is true. If you, you're not successful, if you are depressed, if every day is a struggle, there is a root cause to that, and it may not be something you did. It could be something someone did to you when you were four. That's the reality. I know that sounds hokey pokey, hooky, and all of that. No, it's true. It is true. Um, studies show it, but beyond studies showing it, I'm a living witness, like I lived it. And I fought, I fought so much within my own head, and every single day was a struggle and a fight and a battle. I don't battle anymore. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, I suffered for this long time, for two decades, and now I never have a negative thought. Come on, this is the real life, right, real world. You have bad days. That's anyone. But I'm not depressed. I don't have depression anymore. I can be sad. My mother died suddenly in 2016. I was sad because there were so many unresolved things and things I found out about her and, you know, that kind of shook me a little. I was sad, but I didn't go into depression. If anything could have pushed me back, that would have been the thing that pushed me back. I didn't. I cried. I didn't understand something. I talked to God. I screamed out. But you know what I did? I have tools now that I know how to utilize. I didn't shut down. I didn't shut people out, which is something I was huh, known for. When that depression yeah. hit real bad and I just couldn't take it, I would go dark. Like, you couldn't reach me. I wouldn't call you back. I wouldn't answer the door, whatever. When it really got dark, I would disengage. So I know that is dangerous for me. So I don't do that anymore. And the people around me who love me, who really know my story, they don't allow me to either. I have accountability partners. My closest friend, hell, you're one of them. (laughs) You're one of my accountability partners, whether you know it or not, just inboxing me from time to time because you know how I am. And it's like, hey, honey, how are you? And you're so good about that. I want to take this moment to say thank you. That is so beautiful and so rare, and we've never even met in person. That is the craziest thing in the world to me. But you care about me, and I feel it, and I know it, and you reach out. When people know you and they have your best interest at heart, then they do. They're, they're now your accountability partner, and you have to be accountable to it. So I always respond no matter what. But there are some tools I learned, like reshaping and reforming my thoughts. So before we get off this call, I don't know how much more time we have, but how did I get over it? Okay, so that last day, that final 
at 30 when I died by suicide and came back, um, there were some things that happened and a pastor that came to the hospital. He wasn't my pastor, but I was visiting his church and had this whole experience when I was dead of a voice while I was dead asking me this question, why are you here? This pastor, as I'm wheeled into the nurse's station, because he wanted to meet with me the next day and the doctors didn't want to allow him to, whatever. He insisted. They wheel me into this little table and the nurse says again is, why are you here? He didn't know I had this experience with the voice, which I know it was nothing but God while I was out of here. But that started something in me. Now, that day didn't end my struggle. I wasn't delivered from depression in that moment, but it was in that moment that it sowed a seed for me to really, really think about, okay, you've attempted this suicide thing too many times. Now you actually died. You, You no longer attempted. You died by suicide. And you came back. God is serious about this purpose thing, and he is not letting you out of here until you fulfill it. So it might be time for you to start thinking about what that is. So on the journey to purpose, before I could get there, though, because I had all these issues, all these ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, I had all these ACEs. I had to really start looking at it and really addressing what they did to me. What did my uncle molesting me do to me? What did him fondling me while he tickled me, fondling me in my pants at nine years old do to me? How did that make me shift the way I viewed myself, the way I viewed him, the way I viewed men, the way I viewed the world and my safety? What did me losing my virginity to my father do to me? How did that make me hard and cold and easily, easy to shut down? I have the gift of goodbye. You heard me once. I'm on the other side of the door, and Bianca who? I don't know a Bianca. So <laughs> what did that do? How did that shift and reshape and remanufacture who I was in contrast to who God wanted me to be? So I had to really be honest about that. I had to be honest about the anger that I had. I had to be honest about how I felt my mother abandoned me. I had to be mm-hmm. honest. We have to be transparent. That's what I mean about, you know, you can't, re- you can't heal from things you won't reveal, even to yourself. Be real about that thing. So I had to forgive. That was the first thing I had to do. I call it my slip method, SLP. I'm, I'm the queen of acronyms. Um, but I had to forgive first, forgive God because I felt like he was using me as target practice. I felt like God did not care about me as much as I was fasting and praying and in his word and confessing and this and that. I felt like he turned his back on me. Um, I felt like a victim. God, my life is horrible, and I didn't, I'm not even the culprit. It wasn't my fault. They did this. So I felt victimized, and generally when you feel victimized, not when you are victimized. There's a difference. When you feel like a victim, you it's a debilitating feeling. You feel like you can't get out. You feel like right there in that moment that that person still has a grip on your soul, on your body, on your mind, on your thoughts, and on your future. So I had to forgive God. I had to forgive every assailant. I had to forgive my mother, my aunt who beat me up after she found out that my uncle molested me and told me I was lying And at 10 years old at that point. I had to forgive everybody. And then I had to forgive myself because I judged myself so harshly. Michelle, God has given you this, and you haven't done that with it, and this, that. So I began to forgive. Then once I was able to forgive, here comes the love, that FLP, F is in Frank, F is in forgiveness, 
forgave, I forgave, and then that love that I so desperately needed, that love I so desperately seek for and craved and desired, now I could embrace and really receive the love God had for me. Now I could embrace and really receive the love that people were trying to give me, some people, not everybody, but some special people that God ordained for my life. I was able to receive it, but most importantly, I could receive, I could love me. I could see me in my frailty and love me with my imperfections and love me with my scars because my scars prove that I've overcome something. My scars prove that I can take a licking and keep on ticking. So I received the love that I always wanted. Once I was able to walk in forgiveness and walk in love, and forgiveness is a bad F word, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Well, if you don't forgive. If you walk around with resentment and anger and retaliation, you are stunting your own growth. You are halting your future. You're not hurting them. You're hurting you. So I had to stop hurting me. I had to stop. People made me a victim, and then I picked up the torch and continued my own victimization. So once I was able to forgive and then I could receive love, then I could hear clearly and see clearly what my purpose was. Forgiveness, love, and purpose. And through all of that, through all of that, the key component was getting in the word of God and transforming my thoughts. My belief system was off. I believed that I was scarred. I believed that there was nothing good in me. I believed that I would suffer for the rest of my life. And guess what? Thoughts can can present themselves to you. But they're not belief systems until you stop countering them until you stop challenging thoughts. If you hear the same thought over and over and over again and you start receiving it and accepting it, it now forms into a belief system. Once I was able to actually counter those negative thoughts of, you can't do that, that'll never happen for you, wait a minute, and I audibly started talking. That may sound deranged, but I started talking out loud to those thoughts that were in my head, that negative thinking, thinking, as people say, that negative narrative, I would literally stop and say, well, the Bible says this, or forget the Bible. Let's not even talk about a scripture. No, why can't I do it? Yes, I can do it, and I'm going to be successful at it, and I'm going to be amazing. And that is when I was empowered to really overcome. Now, am I telling every person who suffers from mental illness, drop your pills and just go think, think, think right, think positive? No, I'm not. Of course not. That's ridiculous. It is a long, arduous process. It is something that you have to be deliberate about and you have to be intentional about, and you have to be cognizant that there is a problem. And often with mental illness, you're so clouded. It's like you're seeing through dirty glasses. The glasses have the potential of seeing clearly, but because there's dirt particles on it, depression or anxiety or whatever, it's shading and clouding your view, so everything is distorted. That's the way I describe mental illness. You have the ability, but everything is distorted. So you think from a distorted perspective. You filter what people say and what people do through this distorted perception So and perspective. So if you need medication, take the medication so that it can clear up your perspective and then start taking back your life, one thought, one word, one action at a time. So that's how I made it over. A lot of hard work, a lot of determination, blood, sweat, and tears, missing the marks here and there, but that's where I am now. And I am, I have peace, and I have joy, and I'm not depressed. And I don't claim that. That doesn't belong to me. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. For the for the folks out here, um who have loved ones and, and um know people who are dealing with various things in their life. What is the best form of support that they can show those individuals who are going through some some trying times in their lives? One of the things that I would say, um, education. You know, if you know, I don't know if we're talking about diagnosis or just a person going through everyday things. Um, mm-hmm. If a person is going through the loss of a job or some situational issue, being there and being supportive, listening, that, going back to that same answer, that is the most imperative and important thing that I can suggest. We like to hear ourselves talk sometimes, and we want to show everyone how to live their best life. But everyone's best life, is different, right? It's right. it's subjective. It's it's not there is no one size fits all. It may work for you, it may not work for someone else. There may be forty people who hear this phone call and this interview and walk away with one thing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose that I that was my purpose for that person. So sometimes just listening But if you know, now to the contrary, if you know that um, someone is suffering from mental illness and you know which illness it is, go educate yourself on some of the signs and symptoms of that illness. Because sometimes people, and now, listen, disclaimer here, this is my opinion. Um, I think, yes, of course, like with anything else, we have the Me Too movement. There are going to be people who will exploit something that's gaining traction, right? So now you're getting more attention to the mental illness factor because you have Anthony Bourdain who died by suicide and Kate Spade, so now it's highlighted, and everybody wants to talk about mental illness, you know, now. Um, So then you'll Mm -hmm. have some people say, yeah, I suffer from mental illness, and it might not be the truth. It may be one of those things where people want attention. That is a true statement. There may be a woman who cries rape and wasn't raped. That, of course, is going to happen. But the majority of the time, it is the truth, okay? So if you know that your loved one is truthfully, truly suffering, educate yourself on the signs and symptoms and how you can best support them. Because everyone, every mental illness is a little different. You know, bipolar is a little different than depression. Anxiety is a little different than than depression. Now, sometimes they go hand in hand. Um, Psychosis is different than depression. So you have to approach the person from a different perspective, and your tone may be different. You know, once you have the education, then you know how to best support the person. But if you go in blind and ignorant, you're going in with judgment, well, why can't they just get this? Why do I have to keep saying this? And why do I have to prove this? And why do I have Because that person is seeing life and every experience through this dirty filter, through these dirty glasses. That's why. They don't see clear like you do. So if you're educated, you can gain more grace and patience with the person, not enabling bad behavior, but you can gain grace and patience with them to know how to deal with it. And then if it's a person that, you know, lost their job, them, help them find a job. You know, we're in this society where everyone wants to get paid for everything they do. Well, guess what? 
if that is the life you're leading and you can't help anyone, then you honestly don't have any relationships. Right. You don't. Because a relationship is what how we relate one to another, how we're giving of ourselves one to another. So if it's an individual, you know, who's suffering from a divorce, then, okay, man, what do I need to do for this person? And everything, knowing people, but how do you know someone? You listen to them. You listen. Everything uh-huh. starts with listening. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, for the folks out here, um, Michelle, who want to be able to um, connect with you because she's always giving um, such um, great um, and positive, uplifting, encouraging words, um, how can folks go about um, connecting with you? You can Google me. That's the easiest way. Coach Michelle Jackson, you'll find so many um, outlets and resources, not resources, but so many ways of reaching me. Of course, Coach Michelle Jackson on Facebook. I am Coach Michelle Jackson on Periscope, and I'm going back to Periscope soon. Um, I am the Coach MJ on Twitter, and I'm Coach Michelle Jackson also on Instagram. So any one of those, any one of those but you could literally Google me, and Coach Michelle Jackson will pop up. I'm the little brown Absolutely. girl. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I just want to thank you for taking the time out uh, to always be willing um, to share your story, to share your journey and your progress, because oftentimes, you know, people are often wondering, like, okay, are they still struggling with certain things and so forth? Mm-hmm. And so it's always great uh, for people to see people come through um and, and yes. face those challenges and come through on the other side. And so I definitely want to thank you for coming on here and definitely um uh, shedding some light and giving folks um some education on on how they can be some more supportive and how they can go about getting help um and resources um if they need to. Yes. Um and so I hope that you guys can take this information and share it with a family, friend, loved one. Um, and that it would be beneficial to them as well. And so I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on here and and, and spending time with us this evening. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, my beautiful Bianca Fly. I appreciate you. (laughs) I'm I'm thankful for the platform, and I'm thankful for your support. Throughout the years, you are an amazing, incredible person, and everybody needs a Bianca Fly in their corner. And for those of you out there, I just want to reiterate, this is serious to me, and the numbers don't lie. Almost 50,000 people every year are dying by suicide. If you or someone you know is suffering, is entertaining the thought of suicide, and you just need a little support, you just need help, you need to know what to say, or if you are the person, you need to know what to do to live again. First of all, your life has purpose. It is not over. I know I know how it feels. It's dark. It feels like it's never going to end. It feels like you're being tortured. But God will use that. Nothing in your life will be wasted, and you will not always live in this dark tunnel. Dial 1-800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. And if you don't want to talk audibly, text 741-741. There are people out here who care about you who want to see you excel in your life, and they want to see you walk in your purpose. It's not over. I don't care what the enemy is telling you. It is not over. God has an amazing journey, and you just have to go again one more day, every day, one more day. 
So I thank you. I appreciate each and every one of you. And don't forget to look up the ACEs, ACE Adverse Childhood Experiences. Take your ACE score. See where you fare and see how your childhood experiences may have caused some residue, residue that you've been trying to figure out how to get rid of. This will help you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. You be blessed. Thank you, Bianca. You're welcome. Have a great evening. I'll be talking with you again soon. You too. Okay. All right, you guys. That was Coach Michelle Jackson. Make sure you guys go and Google her uh, to uh, find out ways on connecting with her. And uh, thank you to everyone who are on the phone line listening. Um, I see a lot of you guys on tonight listening, and we thank you, thank you, thank you for your time uh, to listen to the show. We hope that um, something that was said, something that was shared tonight uh, encouraged someone, gave someone some hope, gave someone um, that encouragement that they needed to make the proper step to get the help they need or to be helpful to a friend or a loved one who's in need as well. And so uh, with that said, folks, uh, we are getting ready to get out of here and uh, coming up tomorrow um, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are going to have Shamika Andrews. She's going to be joining us, and she is in part of the Empowered Empowered Disabilities um, coalition, and she uh, helps those who deal with disabilities find resources. Uh, she is also um, one of the Miss uh, Wheelchair um, in New York um, coordinators as well, and so she's coming on to talk about individuals with disabilities um, and how uh, folks can go about finding resources as well, share her sto- personal story um, with having a disability as well. So make sure you tune in to that tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. And so with that said, folks, we're going to get ready to get out of here. I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Be blessed. Stay encouraged. Um, and always know that someone, someone is always there willing to help and support you when you need it.
but I don't know how. You always have my back. All the times I got in trouble, always there to catch your son. Every time that I would stumble, once again I'm calling on you, cause I don't know what to do. Down on my knees once again, asking Lord, please bring me through. I can make it through the fire just as long as I got you, cause ain't nobody in this world that can do what you do. I need you. Huh? 